Soil is a vital living ecosystem that supports plants, animals, and humans. It's teeming with billions of bacteria, fungi, and other microbes that are the foundation of a complex ecosystem. Viewing soil this way reflects a fundamental shift in the way we care for it. Today on the show, we're talking with Mark Schatzker of Toronto, Ontario, author of titles such as The Dorito Effect and Steak. Welcome to the show, Mark. So my name is Mark Schatzker. I'm an author of three books, Steak, The Dorito Effect, and The End of Craving. Um, I suppose you could say I'm most interested in the experience of eating, in the flavor of food. Uh, it all started for me with a steak I ate in, um, on a beach in Chile with my brother. I think it was 1996, maybe it was 1997. And this was a steak that literally changed my life. Um, it was so delicious that I asked what I thought was a pretty simple question, which was why does this steak taste so good? And that led to a book. It turned out it didn't have such a simple answer. Um, and it, I guess you could say it led to the rest of my life because I've been very interested in this whole idea of food and deliciousness and, and what it means. Um, it's something we don't think an awful lot about. We tend to think that um, food being delicious uh, is kind of a trap. It takes us to a bad place. Um, but the more I study this question, the more I think about it and research the very complex nature of, of ourselves and of, and of food and of eating, the more I learn about, about ourselves and about food and, and about how important it is uh, that this experience of eating that we, we tend to downplay, you know, we're so interested in nutrition, uh, how important it is and, and how important that we learn about it and, and celebrate it. I think most people are interested in some level of nutrition. They're curious about how their body works, but we also have this desire to kind of function optimally. And we also, we tend to suspect on some level that we're, you know, we're not functioning properly and that food can heal us. Then next to that is just a kind of a curiosity about how the body works. Uh, it's kind of a big on mechanism on one hand, kind of like your car, a big machine, but it's also a little bit like a computer. So there's also those curiosities about about food, you know, what's in food and then how does my body interact and react with this. But it got kind of to a deeper level for me. Um, and it started with the steak book, which was just, uh, one of the questions I asked was how cows know what to eat. We eat cows, but what do cows eat? And there would be interesting experiences. I would visit a farm or a ranch and the rancher would say, you know, these mama cows are over in this field and they're eating clover alfalfa because they need protein because they're supporting a fetus or a calf. And these steers are finishing, they're getting fat and they're over in this field eating ryegrass, which has got more sugar and more carbohydrates. And this is something cattle do, do naturally. They, they forage. They're not just indiscriminate munchers of grass. They're very picky. If you watch cattle eat, they, their nose kind of roves over the terrain. They take, take a clump here and over here and there's, there's stuff they'll avoid. So they have some intuitive ability to feed themselves. And there's fascinating science behind this. Um, on, animals have this intuitive ability to feed themselves. And this seems stunning on one hand, and on the other hand, it seems utterly obvious because if animals couldn't feed themselves properly, they'd be dead. Well, humans are animals too, and we seem to have this problem with eating that we feel that we are unable to feed ourselves properly, which is why we're so obsessed with questions of nutrition. We argue about carbs versus fat. We take vitamin pills because we think we are utterly idiotic when it comes to this question of how do we feed ourselves. But if we're animals, we emerge from nature, we must have some of this intuitive ability left. So this has really been one of the single questions that has you know, driven my, I guess, curiosity, you could almost say obsession for the past many years. I was very naive when I published my first book, um, Steak. Uh, 
that was a, a journey of discovery uh, and I was traveling the world searching for the best steak and I found that the best steak was grass-fed beef, also the worst steak, which is to say that if you're gonna raise cattle on grass and do it properly, you have to be both a scientist and artist and not everybody can do it well, but when it is done well, it, it makes for a life-changing steak um, and it becomes kind of an obsession. And I thought that having published that book, it would, it would change the culture of beef eating in North America. And uh, I don't know why I thought that. I, I didn't expect it, but I guess in the back of my mind, I sort of thought, you know, things will change. And it's surprised me how, it change takes a long time. And I think we're, at the beginning, people were very interested in grass-fed beef because there's a lot of talk about omega-3s and this idea that you're fueling your body better. And there was almost this acceptance that it's not going to taste as good. Um, and now I think we're finally coming to understand that grass-fed beef can be incredibly good uh, and, and that its nutritional qualities, you know, walk hand in hand with its, with its deliciousness. That's taken a very long time and I don't want to for a second suggest that that's all due to me or anything, but it's just been this observation of, of how we're starting to think differently. But this idea about the importance of flavor is, it seems it's very difficult for us as North Americans to accept. Uh, we seem to want to understand food on a kind of an, an abstract reductionist level. Um, and it seems we always, we always need to impute other values, that it comes from a small farm or that it's sustainable. These things are all important, but we always, excuse me, these things are very important, but we always seem to be reluctant to just celebrate the deliciousness, the wonderfulness of food for its own sake. Um, and I, th I wish we were a little bit better at that because that's ultimately what we search for in a meal. Every time you sit down to eat, you're hoping for it to be delicious. And I think if we could bring that into the equation, um, it would make eating more fulfilling, but it would also be easier to spread these messages that we think are important because, you know, at the end of this, uh, this road to these values that we hold to be important is, is a delicious eating experience. Yeah, so there are difficulties with, if you take something like grass-fed beef, um, there are difficulties it has in competing with commodity beef in terms of, well, price is, is a major point, but even things like um, consistency or availability. Um, and some people think that it is, um, it is kind of cursed in the sense that it just can't compete in, in the you know, modern market. I, I think that's more like a growing pain. I think as we get better at doing this, we'll find that we have ways of managing these things. I think we used to, we're rediscovering some, some lost ways, some lost wisdom. I think when it comes to price, this is the one thing I don't understand is um, we live in a very wealthy continent. Um, North Americans compared to the rest of the world are, are extremely wealthy, our per capita GDP, um, uh, we, we live in large houses, many of us own more than two vehicles, and there's this strange expectation that food should be really cheap. We don't have this expectation for anything. Nobody I know buys the absolute cheapest clothes. I don't know anybody who buys the absolute cheapest car or gets the absolute cheapest haircut. And yet somehow, when somebody makes a food product that is more expensive than the absolute cheapest commodity entry, that's seen as some kind of a problem. And this seems particularly bizarre when you think about where this is going. It's going inside your body. Um, we certainly don't take that approach with healthcare. Uh, we tend to believe that better healthcare is probably going to cost more and nobody wants the cheapest healthcare available. But there's another way to look at this. Um, maybe it is important to spend more money on food, um, on better food, on feeding yourself better, because if you don't, it's going to cost you more in the long run in your medical bills. So I think there can be a kind of a strange short-sightedness. Um, and if you're willing to pay for a nicer pair of shoes or a nicer car, why wouldn't you pay for a better dinner? So we're at an interesting point with nutrition because we've had these kind of cultural battles um, 
they're very long-standing. I, I suppose in the kind of the current era, I think of it starting um, with this sort of war on fat that we had beginning in the mid-1970s. That started to change in the mid-90s. Uh, we, you know, turned our gun sights onto carbs. Um, and it's been quite a long run now of kind of um, carbs being suspect number one. There's been sort of certain flavors of that, uh, sugar, uh, high fructose corn syrup, um, ketogenic diet has become popular. That sort of came after the paleo diet. Um, I think we're ready for something else. I think this, it, I think you could sort of, all those things have in common, which is sort of like we're eating the wrong fuel. And, and we've been searching for what is this wrong fuel. And, and we keep searching for the, the evil nutrient, fat, carbs, sugar. All of these things play a role, but I think what we need to understand is that um, we're not machines. We're not, you know, the, the machine model is like a car and you're, you're putting gas into it and we're putting the wrong gas. And that's not how humans work. Eating is controlled by the brain and nutrition is way, way more complex than the fuel model. Energy is just one component of nutrition. There's minerals, there's vitamins, there's things like antioxidants. And I think what we have to do is, is get a better job of understanding ourselves as animals, as very smart animals. Um, we have a, a, the part of our brain that eats, it's like a supercomputer. And the way it interacts with its environment, the way it understands food, is something we're only beginning to just catch a glimpse of. And I think that's where nutrition is going. And I don't think, on that level, I don't think it is nutrition. I think it's eating behavior. I think that if there's one thing I like to change people's minds about, it's about the primacy of the eating experience. Um, if you think of your DNA as the manual to make you, the thickest chapter is on, on your food sensing equipment, the nose and mouth. So obviously tasting food, enjoying food is, is very important. The act of tasting food engages more gray matter than any other activity, more than sex, more than laughing, more than doing solving a math problem. So eating food from a physiological point of view and an evolutionary point of view is really important. And we so continually downplay it and, and try to avoid it and, and think, you know, we're, we're masterminds and we can feed ourselves with sort of nutritional precision. I think where we need to go is to eat real food and to understand that this, this primal experience of enjoying food, real food that, that is, you know, the product of the land is something to be embraced and sought after. And it's, it's kind of a salvation because everything comes together. Um, you can eat well, you can be healthy, and you can enjoy life and enjoy food as it ought to be enjoyed. The Soil Health Podcast is a production of the Minokin Farm. Minokin Farm exists to foster natural resource education and systems approach conservation. This 150-acre demonstration farm, located just east of Bismarck, North Dakota, was established in 2009 and draws people from all over the world. The farm is owned and operated by Burley County Soil Conservation District, which has an office in Bismarck, North Dakota. Additional financial and technical support is provided by the North Dakota Department of Health Water Quality Division, Natural Resources Conservation Service, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture.